Hi everybody, welcome back to Ask an Addiction Specialist. I'm happy for you to join us today. I'm Dr. Bob Weathers. This is my friend. Odie Martinez. Odie Martinez, great to have you guys joining us today. Um, uh, by way of background, I've mentioned this before, I'm a professor of clinical psychology uh, locally here at California Southern University. We actually are not local, we're, we're worldwide. We have students from all over the planet uh, taking courses online with us and I really enjoy uh, right at this point, I'm supervising doctoral dissertations is what I uh, do at Cal Southern, and I really enjoy that work. Many of the students that I work with focus on areas that we discuss here. A lot of the students are looking at various forms of addiction and recovery, as well as addressing shame and stigma around uh, addiction and recovery, and those tend to be areas that we focus on in our weekly podcast. So welcome back to us. Uh, welcome back to you to join us. Also, I do work at Beginnings Treatment Center as a uh, recovery coach. In fact, as usual, I'm just coming from there today, had a really exceptional uh, men's group this afternoon. We, we call the group Unshaming, and uh, that's the title of the book in progress that I'm aiming to finish by the end of this calendar year. And we had an excellent unshaming group today. That's also the theme of so many of our podcasts here at Ask an Addiction Specialist. So uh, we'll be uh, pulling in that theme as we, as we move forward today. Just by way of review, last week we discussed holistic understandings of addiction. And we talked about multiple perspectives on addiction, including biological, uh, legal, uh, 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 psychological, spiritual, and others. We'll be looking today, diving deeper into the psychological uh, perspective that we introduced last week as we look at addiction. In fact, today's title of our presentation is Early Origins of Addiction, and we'll be looking at that psychologically. And in fact, since this is a series on unshaming, we'll be looking at early origins of addiction and I should say early origins of shame and how the two of those flow together uh, uh, in later life. So we'll be looking at that today. Um, as we introduce uh, our conversation, let me give honor, first of all, to our producer in the studio, Austin Armstrong. Thank you, Austin, for your incredible work in every level. And Odie Martinez is also working uh, behind the scenes. When I came in today, they're busily working away to prepare our, our, our uh, presentation for today. And I uh, want to thank Austin. Uh, Austin has reminded me to remind you all that if you have interest in uh, uh, what we're doing today and wish to share that with friends of yours, you're welcome to direct them to uh, either the Facebook group, Ask an Addiction Specialist. Uh, uh, also, the, we, are, we are streaming on YouTube, and so you can look up Ask an Addiction Specialist on YouTube. You can also go to archived videos from previous presentations at Beginnings Treatment Centers and under beginningstreatmentcenters.com, you'll find uh, podcasts and they'll be listed there. So there's lots of different ways that, that you and your friends can access uh, these resources. Speaking of streaming, since we're live today, as we're, as we're working through this material on early origins for addiction, Odie and I want to invite you to engage with us, and you can do that by means of the chat box in the Facebook group or on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I encourage you to reach out to us. We do entertain questions as they come in live, and uh, I hope to respond to those in a way that we have a dialogue going, a conversation going as much as possible. So I want to encourage your, uh, your presence and your uh, engagement with us as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for joining us today. <clears throat> 
want, first of all, to talk about, uh, when we're talking about early origins of shame and early origins of addiction and how that those two tend to go together, I want to say a word about shame. And that is, is that shame probably for most of us, and I'm going to put myself in this same group, for most of us is just a word. Mm-hmm. It's just a word. And effectively, uh, in fact, especially for men, we've been socialized to not be vulnerable. Mm. And shame is perhaps the most vulnerable emotion. And so I can speak first person for men. Yes. And I think that women can add to this in terms of how you've been socialized. But as a male, to be sad uh, is equated with, with weakness. To be afraid is equated with weakness. Mm-hmm. And to feel shame is equated with weakness. And so uh, it really just stays an abstract word for most, most of us men. And I would say... Uh, uh, for most of our species, shame, uh, we'll be talking about the, the, the painful qualities of shame. We'll be defining it more specifically also later. But definitions aside, it's just a word for most of us. And part of the reason for that, in addition to the fact that there's a lot of stigma, whether you're male or female, against feeling shame, uh, is that shame also has its earliest origins before we have words. Hmm. I've been doing some research this week, Odie. I've <laughs> been doing some research and looking at the early pre-verbal origins of the emotion of shame. And it turns out that shame comes on board in the first 12 months for us mm-hmm. before we have language. We'll be con- contrasting mm-hmm. shame in a few uh, moments with guilt. Guilt is actually a, latter, a later development uh, that requires the ability to... Uh, 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 to have language for one thing, and also the ability to step aside from oneself and look at what one's done. And all of those are developmental achievements that come after the first year of life. Mm -hmm. So if it helps to talk, one way to talk about the difficulty of putting shame into words is that its origins are pre-verbal. They're before words. You know, I'll give you, a, will tip uh, in the direction of next week's presentation. Next week we're going to be talking about shame how it locates in our bodies. And I think in some ways it makes more sense uh, oftentimes to talk about how shame feels in our bodies Mm -hmm. than to talk about shame as a thought or a concept or an idea simply because it's more of a felt experience rather than words. Does that make sense so far? Yes, perfect sense. Let's let's recall the distinction that you and I have made between shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put you on the spot and, and ask for you for what's your best understanding of the distinction between shame and guilt, Odie? So the best distinction from what I've learned from you, Dr. Bob, <laughs> and uh, through my experience <laughs> as well, and it makes perfect sense, but shame is m- me feeling a certain way and believing that's, Feeling is who I am as a person. Yes, yes. Guilt is saying, um, feeling a certain way as well, but knowing that's not me as a person. Just yeah. It just kind of directs my path towards how to correct a wrong yeah. without feeling uh, any negative emotion, which is shame. 
Yeah, I really like that distinction. Shame makes it about who you are. Right. Guilt it makes it about what you've done. Right. And some people would say, well, that's a clever little wordplay, but it has a lot of ramifications mm -hmm. in terms of, of uh, our dealing with our emotional life mm -hmm. and particularly is relevant to, uh, to addiction. And I want to tie that in more explicitly a little bit later. We'll be coming back to addiction. But for right now, we're just kind of getting the lay of the land. So I think Odie's way of, of talking about it is a very helpful way of talking about it. Shame uh, makes all, a statement about all of me and really implies that there's something broken mm -hmm. or wrong or defective that I should be ashamed about. Right. And guilt uh, crops up when we feel like we've done something wrong, but guilt actually enables us to correct it. Like you said, I liked how you put that. Mm -hmm. Shame makes it hard to correct it because after all, how do you correct yourself if you're broken? Mm -hmm. And so that distinction begins to have applications to our day-to-day -day life. Now, I've already made the point that, that between these two terms, shame and guilt, that shame comes on board developmentally before guilt. We can put it this way. Shame is a pre-verbal emotion. Mm. We feel it in our bodies. And to compare guilt with that is to say guilt is post-verbal. Pre-verbal before words, post-verbal afterwards. And it gives mm. you an idea of how it is that shame is primary yeah. in terms of our development. Let me share a personal experience here around this. It's a bit humbling, but it's, but it's accurate. When I was in graduate school all those years ago, we were introduced to shame. We read books about shame and other uh, unpleasant emotions for sure. And I'm quite sure that I wrote papers or essays on exams about shame and probably was able to articulate some version of what you said right. with, some, with some ability. But, but as I've just said, if shame is not primarily about words, then it doesn't really matter what I wrote in graduate school mm -hmm. for assignments about shame. They probably didn't pertain all that much to the experience of shame. <laughs> and uh, as we've talked about openly here, and we'll talk about it again today, my own experience uh, reminds me of the saying, physician heal thyself, is that in midlife, when I, when I uh, myself was really swamped by addiction mm -hmm. and then eventually moved into recovery. But in the process of, of uh, 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 being addicted and, and uh, you know, actively kind of taking 15 steps backwards, I lost mm -hmm. my career as I knew it. I, I, I lost my reputation. And, uh, and that was really, Odie, for me, my first in-depth exposure to what I'd written about. I could have written mm -hmm. about shame, but now I knew shame firsthand. Right. In fact, I find it ironic that, that when I was an undergraduate, I was a psychology major and undergraduate. I was also a religious studies uh, major. I was a double major. Mm. And we had a textbook in one of my religion classes that actually crossed right in between religion and psychology. And it was a book written by the uh, Catholic pastoral theologian, Henry Nouwen. And the book was called The Wounded Healer. Mm -hmm. I, I remember distinctly reading that book, really liking the book, mm -hmm. and writing a report on that book. And then about 25 or 30 years later, living that book. <laughs> it was like the things that I read about, I was now living. So I just want to say this, is that our talking about shame or, or uh, you know, writing papers about shame or, you know, reading books about shame is not the same as the experience of shame. Mm, yeah. And that really brings me to the, the exercise for today, the, the journal exercise for today. is what I wanna, I wanna invite this, and then you and I are gonna discuss this. I wanna invite you as our, our participants today, if you're at home and can have access to 
some paper and a pen or a tablet or a computer where you can write, I'd really encourage you to write down some first thoughts today. I'll allow a little bit of time for you to do some reflection. And then after today's presentation by Odie and me, I'd really want to invite you to go uh, more in depth in terms of journaling into this assignment. And what is the assignment? The assignment is simple and hard. <laughs> what I want you to do is think of a time in your life. I just shared with you a time in my life where I lost everything that I, I, I felt like I lost everything that was of value to me in terms of my career, finances, reputation. Uh, thank goodness I didn't lose the, the primary relationships in my life. Mm -hmm. I certainly lost some relationships owing to addiction, that's for sure. But I want you to think of a time, Odie and I will do, and we'll, we'll comment on this, think of a time where you have been marginalized or ostracized. That means kicked out of a group, rejected. Anytime that you've experienced that kind of uh, 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 lack of social acceptance, maybe a time where you've been severely judged for whatever you've done. And I want to use this uh, uh, opportunity for you to be able to relate to what we talk about as we move forward, particularly applying shame to addiction and recovery. To help with this, remember our earlier definition of shame, where we talked about the two sides of a coin that shame mm -hmm. is. The first side is that shame represents uh, my reaction, my emotional reaction, to any threat to my social acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about you being marginalized, ostracized, somehow kicked out of a group, that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. A threat to your social acceptance. Uh, I certainly experienced that professionally uh, owing to my own addiction and what followed on that. The, uh, in the 12-step in the programs, they call it the wreckage of the past. <laughs> there was a lot of wreckage that came forward into my life. And so that's one aspect of shame, and that's directly related to its twin element, and that is a threat to self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost impossible to separate those out. If you get kicked out of a group, if I get kicked out of a group, <laughs> what goes with that is feeling horrible about that because it's the last thing that any one of us want mm -hmm. is to be rejected by, especially by loved ones or by other valued groups. And so uh, our self-esteem probably is already low to begin with, owing to shame, then we do things. I'll speak first person in terms of addiction. I was ashamed of my addiction. I was secretive about it. And then when it came out, I lost everything that I had worked so hard to accomplish professionally. And then that just destroyed what vestiges were left of my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So that cycle is what we're calling shame. Uh, in the 12-step programs, again, they refer to this as hitting bottom. And that's what I want you to reflect on for just a, a, a moment here. If you can just write down an instance in your life where you hit bottom and maybe write a sentence or two just to bookmark it because you'll want to come to back to this later uh, after our um, dialogue today and, mm -hmm. and go more deeply into this. And I'll be suggesting why this is valuable in a few moments. But for right now, a time that you've hit bottom, a time that you were sunk by shame, experience being kicked out of a group, experience the loss of self-esteem. Uh, write down what comes to mind there, and then Odie and I will talk more personally about uh, experiences that we've had, if you're willing. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. So just, just a minute of, of silence to allow for that. I'm going to do some reflecting on what I want to share here. You might do the same. <laughs> yeah.
I hope something has come to your mind and that you've been able to write a couple of notes to yourself and that you might amplify uh, that later. You know, it occurs to me in the silence right now is that if, if you ask me or if I ask, in fact, if you'd asked me across my life, Bob, are, do you experience shame? Mm -hmm. I think I would have said, I've read about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that it exists, but I don't think I would have identified it for mm -hmm. myself. And a uh, couple things that we've talked about already that make that tricky. One is that, that its origins are pre-verbal. Mm -hmm. And secondly, is that if you've been socialized as, as I have been, and I suspect that many of us have been, maybe especially men, I do a lot of work with young men who've been socialized not to be aware of, of shame, is that we repress it. Mm. In fact, it came up today in the conversation, I've mentioned it here before, but it came up in the conversation with the group, this idea of repression. And the way that I've heard it defined that's helpful is that, is that if we apply it to shame, I repress the fact that I've ever experienced you know, this threat to social mm -hmm. acceptance or, or that, I, that I suffer from uh, uh, impaired self-esteem. I'll repress that, which is to say I forget it. Mm. And then to make it worse is that I forget that I forgot it. Mm -hmm. And so it's the double forgetting. It's, it's like the pushing something out of awareness and then forgetting you push it out of awareness. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it comes to my mind right now, but it's like, it's like misplacing your keys. <laughs> and then, uh, and then forgetting where you misplaced them and then maybe forgetting that you misplaced them and then getting way down the road that is, you know, in your car or whatever and realizing you have no flipping clue how to get back to where you initially put down those keys. There's several layers of forgetting that's involved mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Now imagine something that's much more toxic to our being mm. than losing keys. That's pretty toxic. Yeah. But when we talk about erosion of self-esteem and a fear of, of being uh, of not being accepted in a, in a group of people that really matter, family, mm -hmm. loved ones, and so on, that imagine then those levels of forgetting and how, mm -hmm. uh, how my sense of it is that I can forget that I'm ashamed, but it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. In fact, what happens, it will manifest indirectly. And so rather than being conscious of, well, I lost my shame, you mm -hmm. can ask me, I don't have any shame. And maybe, my sh maybe what will show up is my being angry at you. Mm -hmm. We talked about that today in the group. A lot of us men, about the one feeling we can have is anger. Mm -hmm. And so I won't be afraid. I'll be mad. Mm -hmm. I won't be sad. I'll be angry. I won't be ashamed. I'll be pissed. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way that it goes. So, <laughs> Okay, so our being able to stop here and talk practically about a time where you've hit bottom, I think what it does is it bypasses this kind of forgetting because mm -hmm. I think most of us can remember a time I certainly have many times, but this time I'm talking about where I lost so much. Um, uh, it's unforgettable to me, and, it's, and it really is an introduction to me face-to-face -face with, with shame mm. at the deepest level. So let me invite our talking for a minute, if you're willing, whatever you want Absolutely. to share, and, and I'll do the same, just to give you all some, some places to grab a hold of, okay, as you're working with your own shame. And what we'll do after this is we'll tie it into addiction and recovery, mm -hmm. and then finally we'll close by talking about possible value uh, for doing this work as well as resources for doing it. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, let me check and see here. Uh, we have a comment. Oh, Someone said, it's Angela. It's great to be back and join the podcast. Thank you, Angela. I'm glad that you're back safe home and uh, joining us today. Odie and I both appreciate your involvement. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Angela. Welcome. 
So, uh, Odie, you want to you want to take a yeah, shot I'll, at that? I'll take a shot at it. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking two things came to mind: a situation with a uh, childhood friend, mm. but uh, we had a fallen off. Mm. But then I started thinking, well, I, I didn't really hit bottom. Mm. I don't. I didn't see it as hitting bottom. So okay. then I switched over to um, something that we've talked about before, mm. just to touch a little bit deeper on the situation where uh, I think it was about a week or two before I was going to get married mm-hmm. and just being at the end of the road of my behavioral addiction with pornography okay. and then just getting to that point where uh, just thinking to myself you know this is th- this has to stop you know I'm about to get married and I definitely don't want this going into this marriage. And so just thinking, you know, talking to the pastor that was going to marry us and then um, talking it over with, with other mentors and just getting their feedback on what to do. And so, you know, I decided that what was best to do is just come clean, confess it mm-hmm. to my future wife and mm-hmm. uh, pray and hope for the best that she'd be uh, graceful enough to, to forgive me for continuing on after lying to her, saying that I've stopped, which mm-hmm. I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was that was bottom for me just yeah. because, you know, two weeks before getting married, uh, lying for uh, probably the past few years yeah. to her about it. Mm-hmm. And so just getting to that point. But, um, yeah, I think just feeling that fear of well what if she doesn't doesn't accept what i'm telling her and she just says goodbye you know so i think what we're talking about in this matter i think it kind of perfectly uh resembles what we're talking about instead of the other story which i'll probably bring up some other time yeah yeah first of all i really want to honor your sharing this with with us and and also giving more specifics in terms of the timing of it and so on Odie. yeah really appreciate that i want to match you in terms of sharing some uh, the way that you described it helps Mm -hmm. me to articulate more about what i introduced earlier and then maybe i can pause for a second and we can talk together about how it feels even to share with us to share with one another because i really really appreciate your sharing Mm -hmm. um one of the pieces for me is that I had a developing addiction in midlife that grew. It started with alcohol and moved to other uh, recreational drugs mm-hmm. and eventually prescription drugs, but it was very gradual. Mm. And I don't know how this went with your addiction, but it built right. over time, but it was over a course of 10 to 15 years. But at the end of it, uh, the people that mattered most to me in my mm-hmm. life, those are the people I least wanted to confess it to. So mm-hmm. you talk about yeah. confessing to your, your wife-to-be, it was very similar for me. Uh, I, I, first of all, I didn't want to admit it to myself, but the right. last thing I yeah. wanted to do was to court possible rejection mm. from, from uh, family and others that I love so much. And I wasn't sure it was going uh, was gonna to turn out okay yeah. at all for me. So it's, uh, I, and I'd already lost a lot. I'd, by that point, I'd already experienced so much loss professionally. But the worst of it for me is mm. really in what you said, which is as horrible as all of that was, am I going to lose the central relationships in mm. my life? And I'm relieved to say, and I think this is the same for you, is that we, we risked everything and that we did not lose those relationships. Mm-hmm. And I love your using the word with your wife, now, your, your now wife, 
is would she be gracious enough? Would she have would she have enough grace hmm. uh, to give to you? And she yeah. she has and, and and does. And the same for me in my life. But that puts you right there. And the hitting bottom is. That's how bad it has to get to risk everything because you realize I can't go on with this anymore. Right. You couldn't go on with this. You were two weeks before you were going to get married. And the same for me. I lost everything. Mm. Oh, and now on top of it, let me acknowledge that what's led to horrendously bad decisions, one after the other, is the fact that I have this secretive addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was really, uh, it was hitting bottom that way and risking falling right off the edge of the earth in terms of losing love relationships that mattered the most. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like they were oxygen supply for me. They are, and the same for you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I like how you mentioned that, uh, you know, you, you didn't want it to, to admit it to a loved one. Mm -mm. But most importantly, well, not most importantly, but the other side of that is that you didn't want to admit it to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Which I think, for me, personally, in my experience, I think that was the most difficult part yeah. for for my behavior and yeah. uh, just yeah. thinking to myself, you know, using the excuses of this is normal, you know, it's what yeah. everybody does. Right. It's right. not hurting anybody. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. Yeah. that's a big part of it as well. It really takes facing ourselves and we'll be talking in a few minutes about our shadow. You know, I, I want to, like there's a light right there, a lamp that's shining on you and me. And I want to show towards that lamp the side that it sees, which is illuminated and the right. same for you. Mm -hmm. But behind, in fact, literally behind Obi, <laughs> I can see your shadow. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't see mine, but you can. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes, isn't it? Yeah. We can't see our own shadows, but I can see yours and you can see mine. And I'm happy for you to see this sunshiny smile of mine right now. Not so happy if you look behind me and see the shadow. Mm. And least of all for us to acknowledge to ourselves that we have a shadow, yeah. much less admit to another that, you know, that, that, oh, by the way, here it is. Yeah. And you had the courage to do that, which is amazing. And I believe I, believe I have too. Yeah, I just absolutely. had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman. He's, he's uh, 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 called me from a, a university from another state. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was asking me about, uh, we're thinking about doing some professional collaboration. Nice. And he said, he said, let me just double check. He said, you're a licensed psychologist, right? And I said, I guess we're going to have to talk because I've, I've had other conversations with him. I wasn't aware that we hadn't had this conversation. Mm -hmm. So for the next 10 minutes, I shared with him how I lost my license in psychology owing to addiction and how that whole process has gone, leading me to the, the current time where all of my work is in recovery, mm -hmm. and the work I do is under the uh, umbrella of uh, recovery coaching, and uh, and that that I apply everything I learned, you know, in my training as a psychologist, in my training others, but I wasn't at all sure how that would go. So even mm -hmm. though he's not like my fiance, or <laughs> you know, he's not a family member, right. I can tell you that there was a part of me that was sweating blood as I was mm -hmm. sharing this with him because I wasn't sure how he was going to respond to this. Right. And I, I, we, we spoke for an hour. At the end of it, I was very touched by this. He said, Bob, I want to say something to you. He said, I... I I deeply respect your courage to be truthful with me. Mm. And, and beyond that, he says, I'm uh, so supportive of what you've done to turn this in your life around to where you now give back. You do meaningful work. In fact, all of your work is in the arena of trying to help others uh, 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 
either heal from addiction or possibly avoid addiction to begin with. Mm -hmm. I was so deeply touched by that. Speaking of grace, there was like complete grace in that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is a lot of years down the road. It is, that's not a neutral conversation for me even <laughs> now because it's to open myself. We've talked about threat to social acceptance. What if he rejects me? Mm -hmm. That would be painful. And that's not going to make me feel good about myself. <laughs> And so I and, and I and I think even right now you're sharing with me, Odie. Here, we're we're here with the podcast with with uh, visitors joining us. Somebody's written in a comment. And we'll get to that. There's a little thing in the middle of that screen, Austin. That's going to make it hard for me to read that. I don't know if it's possible to adjust that. Um, so here we are. We're in front of God and everyone else mm -hmm. <laughs> sharing. So let me just ask you how this is for you, and I'll share for me too. How it is for you to share? What might be a value? in our talking about this even now, you and me here uh, in our podcast. Um, Let me say something different. Let me ask yeah, you a different question. No, I don't think I was clear about my question. How does it feel to you? How does it feel to you? That's a more basic question. You can get to that second okay. question. But how does it feel to you to share here with me? We know each other well. We've spent a lot right. of time being vulnerable, but I just want to ask you, and then you can move on from there. If you're... Well, it feels... Uh, I enjoy sharing this part of me, even though uh, it is difficult at times for the same reason mm -hmm. of uh, the psychology part of the social acceptance, you know, yeah, of like, yeah, well, yeah. how are they going to take this information? But I think luckily through the groups that I've gone, I've gone through and, yeah. and not really being familiar with that environment and then getting used to that environment mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just taking that as, as kind of... Uh, gas to gas to the car i guess you could say mm -hmm. to push on the gas mm -hmm. whenever the opportunity arises to share our experiences mm -hmm. to to well you know i'll share this and hopefully and this to answer the second question yeah, yeah, yeah. is i'll share this and hopefully it brings some sort of yeah. uh, value to them yeah. where yeah. maybe they'll they'll hear the story and they'll say hey you know what by the way mm -hmm. i'm also going through something similar which yeah. has actually happened in my experience yeah. before I'm going through something similar. Uh, what have you done to change your behavior, this and that? Uh, what has helped? And uh, I think there's huge value in, and yeah. not only in environments like this, but also in uh, personal relationships mm -hmm. and um, uh, spousal mm -hmm. relationships. I don't know if that's the right word, but just being vulnerable and, and open, yeah. even if you don't know how the other person's gonna react. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Yeah. vital. You, you remind me, thank you for all of that, mm -hmm. Odie. You remind me, um, if, if you all haven't seen Brene Brown uh, on uh, uh, YouTube, I recommend you go, her, her first name is B-R-E-N-E -E Brown, just like the color. She's a social worker and professor out of Texas who's done more work in the recent years on shame and healing of shame than virtually anybody else in the world. Mm. And she's got some TED Talks on there that are worth gold to see. And what you just reminded me of one of the things that she says, she says that the healing of shame is through what you just described, which is vulnerability. Mm. You think, how do I heal this? Well, I heal it by being vulnerable with you and you with me. Right. 
Um, and she says it takes courage to do that, and she's mm. right. She actually ties the word courage into its root meaning in the French word cour, which means heart. It's to speak with your heart, and you just did mm. that, and I just mm -hmm. did that as well. Right. And then when we do that, uh, that it leads it leads towards life. It leads towards healing, mm. and so. Yeah. Yeah, I loved all that you just described, and I really appreciate it. It's very similar for me. It was yesterday. It was very risky. I guess you'd say it took courage for me to speak openly with this uh, university uh, uh, faculty member, and mm -hmm. and yet his response was reinforcing for me to be courageous because I could tell he was moved by it, mm. and that means a lot to me to right. to see somebody moved enough to to compliment me and to affirm the work I'm doing. And I guess the, the good news is that you're married, and the good news for me with him is that we're going to work together. It didn't right. serve as a block to that. And, in fact, it opens up new avenues for our work to be more real, as, mm -hmm. as in your marriage. Yeah. yeah. Somebody wrote a comment here. Thank you, Austin. Austin is so busy working <laughs> with lighting and all kinds of other technical things. Let me see what the comment is up here. Uh, this individual said, What strikes me about my worst bottom is how many negative emotions... We're all tangled together besides the shame and guilt. There was intense fear and sadness and exhaustion, just to name a few. Yeah. We're complicated beings, aren't we? And even <laughs> though we're talking about two specific emotions, very painful emotions, shame and guilt, this individual is also talking about fear and sadness and the exhaustion of bearing all of these. Mm. It's no accident that we that we put want to put this out of our minds. Yeah, <laughs> I think we do that at great cost, but it is extremely exhausting. I'll I'll uh, respond to this comment uh, here by reference to uh, the group today that I led in the group uh, with the men. It was an hour and a half group, and um, among other things, during the group, we uh, we did a, a, a self compassion exercise, and I was getting feedback afterwards. and And after I do these exercises, I'll always ask. How'd that go? Mm. And and people will assume, I mean, if it went well, they can talk. If it didn't go well, I want to hear. And so I said, if it didn't work for you, tell me if it didn't work for you. Mm -hmm. And one individual had the courage to say he was overwhelmed. Mm. <clears throat> when he opened himself up to part of the exercise was forgiving others for, for ways that they might have wronged us. He had so much pain around that with so many people that he just felt swamped by it. Mm. And I... Uh, I apologized. Right. I said, I think you helped me to be clearer, even more clear in the future about being very specific about picking maybe a single instance that feels manageable rather than biting off too much because it can mm -hmm. be overwhelming. Yeah. And, and the conversation that followed relates to this individual's comment is that, is that it can be overwhelming, it can be exhausting, and we're not talking just about one single emotion, such as shame, we're talking about all the emotions that are attached to it. Speaking of fear, fear of, of I experienced fear yesterday in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Am I gonna lose this person's respect? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you experienced tons of fear going into yeah. your marriage. Am I gonna lose my wife-to-be's respect in all of this? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, then, and then for sure, this individual mentioned sadness or grief. I have a tremendous amount of grief around mm -hmm. what it is that I've done and what it's cost, not only me, but people that I love. 
And so to go into a space and, and be able to hold that requires being, I think, very gentle with ourselves. It's gradual. Yeah. I don't think you woke up one day and just, bam, it was all out. It takes, takes like you mentioned with the, the group work you've done, right. you start by sticking your toe in the water and then coming back and sticking it again. And over time, you develop some solid ground and some momentum, but it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So it's yeah. really it's really to respect the fact that we're talking about a gradual process, not mm -hmm. a sudden kind of uh, magic bullet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another comment here. When you guys talked about sharing our worst side with others, it reminds me of when I've done that, and it was so scary. But it also showed who was really there for me and could see beyond my addiction. It shows who really can stand by you. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. It's implied in what you were saying with your wife, and I feel mm -hmm. that so strongly with the people that are central in my life, many of them long-term friends. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is my daughter, who's been on my life for 32 years, and it's very hard for me to feel even now the grace that she's given me without welling up with tears. Mm -hmm. I feel such deep gratitude right. for the people that have been with me through thick and thin. I just, I have a friend of about 40 years that I wrote last week. We saw each other a couple weeks ago, and we've been friends through thick and thin and I wrote him that I said Jim you've been with me through thick and thin and I cannot possibly express I can't even talk about it right now without crying I just feel such gratitude yeah. for that kind of grace absolutely yeah. yeah you don't you really don't realize you don't realize what you have until you're in the like you say in the thick of it and yeah. it's refreshing and it's uplifting and encouraging to know that mm -hmm. you can rely on on uh, not only rely on people, but um, know that you know we've been through this. I know that whatever comes our way is definitely. I know I can count on this person to be there. You remind me of this image that I heard years ago, uh, and it's a seamstress image. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't sew, so I don't know. I have to I have to take this on faith. But the story goes like this: If you take my sleeve of my jacket right here mm -hmm. and if you tear a rip in it and then if you sew that well it'll actually be stronger where it was sewed back together than mm -hmm. the original jacket right i've heard that before have you i yeah. like that image a lot and you just reminded me of it is that in your relationships that matter the most to you including with your wife mm -hmm. and in my relationships that matter the most to me as well they've been put to the test mm. The yeah. jacket has been torn, and they've been healed, thank God, over time, mm -hmm. and they feel stronger and deeper and more reliable. Mm -hmm. Like I can count on them in a way that I wouldn't have known before if I hadn't put them to the test, yeah. which isn't to say I want to do that again or that <laughs> yeah, I'm happy definitely. about it having happened. Right. But that it happened and that it was healed is a miracle that really makes for, uh, for a kind of confidence, and you're speaking to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask the audience a question for you to think about. What does all of this have to do with addiction? Well, my story and, and actually Odie's story too, Ty, they're stories about addiction. But why does our talking about shame and these, these uh, uh, kind of these unspoken painful aspects of shame, how does that pertain to addiction? Because today's conversation is about early origins, psychological origins of addiction. So let's talk about that for a moment. The logic is simple and we've discussed it before, but I want to review it is that when I ask a room full of clients that are interested in and invested in recovering from addiction, 
What is the number one trigger for relapse? Their answer is, because we've talked about this enough, their answer is automatic and they'll say, they did today, it's stress. Stress is the number one trigger for relapse. Stress will manifest in all kinds of different forms, relational stress, uh, you know, work-related stress, financial stress, even boredom. Mm. But all of the common denominators, those are all stressful and those will lead me back to my drug of choice if I'm yeah. not really careful. And so, first of all, that's the first point, that shame is the number, excuse me, that stress is the number one trigger for relapse. The most stressful emotion is shame. The research that's been done on this looks at threats to social acceptance, mm -hmm. threats to self-esteem, and that combination stirs the highest release of cortisol in humans of any human emotion. Cortisol is simply the stress hormone. That's how they measure how stressed you are. Mm -hmm. So you can ask Bob and Odie, are we stressed? And we might say, no, you can measure our cortisol. <laughs> and if his cortisol is chill and mine isn't, you can rightfully say, Bob, you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more likely, Bob, you're unaware. Okay. <laughs> but you can't lie. The cortisol doesn't lie. And so number one trigger for relapse is stress. Number one stressful emotion is shame. That gets us right into the right into the domain then of talking about addiction because anybody that's experienced addiction, whether it's behavioral or to substance, mm -hmm. cannot sustain long-term exposure to elevated cortisol. As one client of mine said, and I've repeated this over the years, <laughs> none of us can barbecue in our own adrenaline. Just add cortisol to that. Adrenaline and cortisol are the two stress hormones. None of us can sustain that. And so it makes a lot of sense that if I can find relief in a behavior, if I can find relief in, in a substance, ingesting a substance that lowers my cortisol level, you better believe I'm going to be at risk for going back to that. So it begs the next question, and that is, what's to be done? In light of the fact that stress is everywhere <laughs> and that all of us know shame, um, uh, and most of us know it from a very early age in some form or another. And especially in the realm of addiction, the way that Bob and Odie have been talking about it, we both know shame is a function of our addiction. Mm -hmm. So what's to be done about this? The first, the first piece that's implied in our definitions earlier is to make a very clear distinction between toxic shame on the one hand mm -hmm. and rightful guilt on the other. You felt guilty about what you had done, mm -hmm. getting ready to get married, and you didn't want to carry that into your marriage. And so you brought that, you confessed that to your pastor, you confessed that to your wife, mm -hmm. you brought that to groups. And then you worked on changing that behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that guilt motivated you to make change. The same for me. I was motivated finally to be out about my addiction. Mm -hmm. And I was motivated to change that. Yeah. It's not to say that addiction changes overnight, but at least I'm now headed in the right direction. Right. And you were headed in the right direction. Yeah. Shame, on the other hand, kept me in the shadows, kept me in secrecy. Mm -hmm. Shame, like you said earlier, is like admitting it to herself. Shame kept me from admitting it to myself. I don't right. know how this went for you, but I was like, I can't even go there. Yeah. So I'll just stay away from it. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's. I agree with that. Definitely kept me away from openly admitting it whenever I was confronted with the opportunity to, to tell the truth. Yes. You know, and just mm. thinking, well, what, what, are the, what are they gonna think? What is she gonna think about this if I just come out and say it? So just playing scenarios in my head mm -hmm. and just coming out the other end more sh ashamed than yeah. feeling relieved yeah. definitely kept me from sharing 
There's a way as I listen to you, there's a way that we can become ashamed of shame. Mm -hmm. Shame builds on itself. In fact, years ago, I was in a supervision group and we, we were studying shame. This is back in the days where I'd study it. <laughs> I was a supervision group and the focus was on shame. And I remember we were reading some materials and we actually read an article about, uh, and it was about shame about shame. And I really related to that because as a man, not only do I experience shame, but I feel ashamed of feeling shame. And that's mm. really what the article was about. And so it's a sense of the poor getting poorer. The more shame I have around my shame, the, the more I kind of go down the rabbit hole of yeah. increasing shame, which means the, more like, the less likely I am to talk to you, mm. the more likely I am to, to stay secretive. So I make the distinction between rightful guilt, which is I did something bad and I want to change that and I apologize to you for that, versus shame, which is I am something bad mm. and I can't dare go there. I have to keep it a secret from you mm -hmm. and even keep it a secret from myself. Now, one of the issues that I thought about this week, doing this <laughs> research on the pre-verbal origins of shame, that is to say that shame develops for us very early on. It's one of the early, very strong emotions before we even have the ability to say, mama and dada, we have shame, <laughs> is that it makes me think that shame is not primarily about words. <laughs> and so I can be in a supervision group talking about shame and it did not prepare me for my experience of shame. <laughs> in fact, to add to that, not only is shame not primarily about words, but I would argue based on the, the literature I've reviewed this last week, that the healing of shame is also not primarily about words. And it's not primarily about words and what it's about. And I think that it's been pointed to already by Odie, and I intend to talk more into it with you, is that I don't know that it's about words as much as it is about a lived experience. Mm -hmm. I liked how you talked about your wife, and I think you said, would she be graceful enough? Yeah. Would she have enough grace for you? Exactly. Grace is not a word, it's an experience, and mm -hmm. you have a living experience of that with your wife, Very true. with your pastor, with God. Yeah. And the same for me is that is that whatever it is, the compassion, the self-acceptance, the grace mm -hmm. that moved Odie and me through and beyond our shame to healing uh, is primarily rooted in an experience. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's spot on. Spot on. Think about how shame feels in our bodies for just a second. We're going to de dedicate a whole session to this next week. Shame closes my heart down. We talked earlier about courage, cour, mm. the French word for heart. Courage requires for me to open my heart. Mm -hmm. You had the courage to open your heart and express rightful guilt. Mm -hmm. I've done something. I'm not proud of it. I've lied to you. I want to change. That's courage. Yeah. That's courage. Shame will make that impossible. It shuts me down. It closes the heart. Mm -hmm. In fact, the way to healing requires the experience of vulnerability. If I'm mm -hmm. quoting Brene Brown right now, <laughs> you won't get there any other way. I can't hand you a book on shame and say, read this and get better. <laughs> you may have an experience reading the book, but my guess is it's going to go beyond reading a book because you're still going to have to talk to your wife yeah. and your pastor. And the same for me is that ideas and concepts about shame, I think they're useful. I think particularly this distinction between shame and guilt is imperative. It's yeah. a really important distinction. But that distinction alone will not save you. Yeah. <laughs> It was only that easy to just read a book. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I'm just going to memorize Bob's definition of shame, and I'll be good to go. Yeah. I honestly think that 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 I probably had some kind of 
unspoken assumption that I'd studied shame enough that I should be good to go. There is an irony in this. (laughs) It just occurred to me, doggone it, is that sometime as the world was caving in for me, I was invited by, of all groups, the American Psychological Association to write a book chapter, to co-author a book chapter in a book on shame, Mm. (laughs) which I did. Mm. I co-authored it with two very dear friends of mine. And it's probably the key source book in psychology at this point Mm. on shame. I've actually co-authored a chapter in that book. And it's particularly ironic in the conversation here because it was shame in the context of families. Mm. It was looking at how shame gets transmitted from one generation to the next in families. Mm. And so I I am exhibit A of how you can get really smart about shame (laughs) and maybe have a lot to say that is of value, but let's just acknowledge it's of limited value when it comes to healing ourselves. Mm. We need to have an experience. I want to say this much as a postscript to that is the two individuals that I co-authored that chapter with Faith Holmes McClure mm-hmm. and Ed Tiber are very, very dear friends of mine and have extended more grace to me than words can say. Faith, who just passed away this summer, mm-hmm. uh, continues to extend grace to me uh, uh, from beyond life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, God works in mysterious ways. Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I count it as a gratitude that I was allowed to write a chapter with them that continues, it's the relationship in my experience of Ed's and Faith's grace that they are the, the, the handful of closest friends mm-hmm. that have been with me in grace throughout this entire experience. Right. It's implied earlier in something that you said, and I really want to draw attention to it. So whether it's my friends Ed and Faith, or your pastor, mm-hmm. or your wife, or the groups you've gone to, I do want to... Uh, make a strong recommendation here, and speaking from firsthand experience, both of us can, is that self-help groups, uh, which provide support mm-hmm. for our being vulnerable, yeah. can make all the difference. Oh, yeah. And so for you to be able to go to a group where you're not only accepted for where you are, but you're actually invited, and maybe in my, in my case at least, I'm required to share vulnerably. That's yeah. the expectation. But it's an environment that's safe. There's no, there's no judgment. There's no rejection. Yeah. All those things we talked about earlier in terms of a threat to social acceptance, those are removed mm. from a self-help support group, like the 12-step program is one example. Continue to be very active over the years in refuge recovery. There's acceptance, breathing in these groups, and the same for you, for sure. Yeah. There are so many different resources. Celebrate Recovery, Smart mm. Recovery, AA, NA, Al-Anon. All of these groups provide a safe space for us to identify the problems that we have in the case of addiction and to put it in a psychological language to actually identify the problem and externalize the problem. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer Odie is addiction. Odie has an addiction. Mm -hmm. Bob is no longer addiction. Bob has an addiction. And so if I I can externalize my problem, I can work on it. Mm. If I'm the problem, then there's not much hope for me. And so, so these groups allow us to talk about our, yeah. addi- our addiction and what led to it, what's, what's uh, sustained our addiction. And in doing that, we're looking at it objectively. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing shame won't let you do. Shame won't let you look at yourself objectively. Right. It sinks you in a, 
a swamp of, of subjective misery. Mm. And as soon as you can step back and look at it, you can move from shame to guilt. Mm. I feel really bad about my addiction and what I did during that addiction. But now I'm looking at it objectively. Mm. It's no longer the lens through which I'm saying things. Right. And in shame, all I could do was look at myself negatively with judgment. Right. Yeah, I like how you put that. I feel like that's definitely was the case on my end too. It just especially when I was hiding it and keeping it to myself because of shame, I felt like this is this is what I do, this is who I am as a person. Yes. And then once admitting it and bringing it out to the light and coming to terms that this is a, an issue, this is a problem, then I was able to not only accept it, but also think come to terms that I can actually do something about it to, yeah. to completely get rid of it. Now it's no longer part of who I am. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a situation or it's, um, yeah. it's just an event I guess would be the best way to put it that is temporary where I can, you know, eventually leave it behind behind yeah, me. So yeah, yeah. I like how you said that. Yeah, I like the way I, I well, I like the way you're describing it. it. Reminds me of yesterday's conversation with the university professor where I'm talking about an event, mm -hmm. talking about my addiction. We're talking about it objectively, and he was able to see it similarly. He didn't. He didn't mistake that for being who I am. In fact, mm -hmm. he was very honoring of who I am mm -hmm. with this event that's very painful in my background and he acknowledges that. Right. Um, yeah. It's reminding me of another individual I met yesterday in the context of a treatment center. This was a, an administrator of a treatment center and he was acknowledging to me his own, his own past history mm -hmm. and my response to him was, we're all human here, mm. we're all human. Yeah. And the way that we've talked about addiction, especially in the context if we include behavioral addictions, is that they're virtually universal. Right. And so to talk about addiction is to talk about being human in a very vulnerable way. Yeah. But it doesn't make you other than a human being. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know? So let's start with that. We're human beings. Let's see what we can do to heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we do that best by being connected. So one of the values, I think, also of 12-step groups is that there's a place, you know, I was talking with the shadow earlier. I can still see your shadow. Yeah. You can still see mine. Um, uh, is that we're actually encouraged to share our shadow. Yeah. We're encouraged to do that. In the 12-step programs, they talk about this in terms of moral inventory, where you're, mm -hmm. you're being encouraged to take in an ongoing way moral inventory for how you're doing. Mm -hmm. As part of my daily prayer time in the mornings, I'm, I'm, I just basically have to go back through the last 24 hours mm -hmm. to pick instances where I've wronged somebody, typically unintentionally, but I've hurt somebody. I've, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's done intentionally or not. Mm -hmm. And I pray for forgiveness. I pray for forgiveness in my quiet time in the mornings. And I like just clearing off the system. I did it this morning. I did it yesterday morning. I did it the morning before. Yeah. There's no end to taking inventory in that spirit. And so what that's doing is it's constantly being aware of our shadow and bringing that, whether it's before God or before, mm -hmm. before individuals that uh, in our group or, uh, or other loved ones to be able to kind of keep the system cleared out. So... The good news about what we're talking about is painful to work with this stuff. I have to tell you earlier today, and some of you may have noticed this, I found myself stifling a yawn or two. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just own up to that. This is hard stuff we're talking about. <laughs> this is hard yeah. stuff talking into it. This is not neutral stuff. And my body, at least a few minutes ago, it just wants to shut down. It's like, okay, <laughs> be courageous, Bob. Hang in there. 
don't go to sleep on Odie. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a challenging stuff. And so if you experience that, uh, that fatigue that somebody referred to earlier, that means you're on the right track. I mean, yeah. we're talking about it right now. This isn't, uh, this isn't just theory. This is our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Implied in all of this, y'all, is that there's hope. There always is hope here. And uh, we've been talking about this theme over the last several weeks. So if there's hope from today's presentation, it's being able to replace what we talked about as pre-verbal shame. That is, shame that doesn't have words. Being able to replace that with acceptance, and particularly acceptance with others. Mm-hmm. And so it's being able to put it into words mm-hmm. with your pastor, with your wife. Right. For me to do the same, it's being able to take something that wants to stay in the shadows and wants to pull us back in the shadow and keep us there. It's finding words to express that. And it's not just the words, it's the grace, the gracious response. Your mm-hmm. wife's grace. Yeah. My wife's grace. Right. Uh, uh, God's grace. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, that's where the hope is. That's where, that's where, if you're willing to risk vulnerability, you have today, and I thank you for that, Odie. Thank and, you. and I have too. It nearly, thank you as well. It nearly yeah. knocked me out. Yeah. <laughs> if we're willing to do that, the payoff is we're able to laugh about this, and there's a light, there's a lightening of our of our burdens by being able to do this. Mm-hmm. What I want to do next week is come back and spend a little bit more time talking about how shame locates in our bodies, and how in many ways shame is not so much something that we can put easily into words, but that uh, we can experience in our bodies. And we'll talk into that more detailed next week. Uh, uh, come back next week and join us by taking a nap with us. <laughs> no, yeah. we won't be taking a nap. <laughs> but this is doggone hard work to do. If, you know, I want to thank you for joining us today. I have a couple of announcements. One thing is if you have any questions that come to you after we finish today, for example, I encourage you to write into, to journal into a shameful experience that's in an analog to what Odie or I shared today. And if you have questions that arise in doing that journaling, <coughs> I encourage you to reach out to me. You can do that to us through uh, the Facebook group. You can also go to YouTube. Austin moderates the YouTube group, and he can send those questions ahead to me. Uh, and also, you can write directly to my my uh, uh, website. If you go to drbobweathers.com, there's a contact me place. And several of you have reached out to me directly through that, and I encourage you to do that too. Mm-hmm. I'd be very happy to respond to you. While I'm thinking about it right now, and also part of my fatigue is that I'm working overtime right now. I've been preparing for an hour and a half webinar that's going to be happening tomorrow. And it will, it's, uh, Austin's been kind enough to announce it on our Facebook group. It's being put on by a state-funded uh, organization in the state of Idaho called Empower Idaho. And this, this is an outreach to individuals who've been diagnosed with mental illness, mm-hmm. their loved ones, and the healthcare professionals that work with them. And I'll be presenting an hour and a half webinar tomorrow from 11 o'clock in the morning Pacific time to 1230. It's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be exercises, but plenty of breathing room for dialogue. And uh, they're going to have it set up in a way where people can dialogue with me, I believe, on the screen. Mm. So I want to encourage you to come to that if you have an interest to do that. If you go to the Facebook group, Ask Addiction Specialist, you'll see the flyer with contact information. It's free of charge. You're invited to come join. I would love to see you there tomorrow. The topic tomorrow is simply unshaming. And so I'll be condensing a lot of what we've talked about into an hour and a half conversation. 
As I mentioned earlier, I'm working right now on, on revising the chapters of the book that I've been writing for the last period of time. The book is titled Unshaving. That's the title of tomorrow's presentation. And we'll be looking at, at how essential unshaming is to recovery, specifically from addiction. So though this is to a broader audience, tomorrow I'll be focusing on addiction and recovery, and that will definitely um, uh, touch the lives of people that are present there tomorrow, whether directly in recovery from addiction or their loved ones. Uh, we'll be looking at, just to give you a little taste of, we'll be looking at uh, the biology of addiction. We talked last week about multiple perspectives. We'll be looking at the biology of addiction, the psychology of addiction, and you might even say the sociology of, of addiction, because as soon as we start talking about societal stigma, we're really in the realm of cultural anthropology and sociology, mm -hmm. the way that we look at cultural and social impact of addiction. And so we'll be discussing all of that tomorrow, as well as I'll be discussing recovery resources for individuals who are in recovery, as well as for their loved ones. So I would love for you to join me tomorrow, and I'm excited about this and nervous about it because there's going to be a bunch of people present. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see how the interaction goes. You'll be fine. Uh, thank you. Well, I look forward to you being there. Thank you, Odie. I appreciate that. I want to thank all of you for joining Odie and me uh, today. We really appreciate your presence. Look forward to you joining us next week. Thank you, Austin, for, thank you, for Austin. being our navigator through all of this. Come back next week and join us as we look at shame in our bodies and take good care between now and then. Thank you again.